come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful day and for the blessings that we have. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us work to be able to enjoy the fruits of our benefits that you've allowed us to do. That you've led us to work with our hands with all the things that we can do. For a country that gives us the freedom to do whatever we feel called we're to do. We thank you for also, too, for the people that went ahead of us and gave us this great land that not only laid down a great constitution, but saved it and kept it from tyranny. And we've been able to do wonderful things. Right now, I pray for those in government, that they'll appreciate what we do have and they'll preserve it and listen to you rather than to their own thoughts and their own ways. I pray especially, too, Lord, for our soldiers and for those who protect us on our streets every day the challenges that they have before them and the rights people have. Pray also, too, Lord, for those who are shut in. We think of Bill Bannister, Lord, who's locked in, and for Evelyn and for Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce. As they have to sit at home every day, and, and Lord, I just pray that you'll watch over them. I pray also, too, Father, for those that we know that are sick. I thank you that Nick is doing better. We pray for Kurt who's had something going on right now. I pray for Maria. I pray also, too, for um, the Gump family, Gump family, especially Daniel, as he's battling his cancer. I pray also for Mark, who went down to Duke University, and they're working on his cancer in his brain. I pray also, too, for little uh, Stephanie Mama, Lord, as she battles her brain cancer. I just pray for help for her. I think of John, too, Lord, in his battle, and for also Betty's brother-in-law is one who's had a hip surgery, and the other who has had a, <clears throat> is dying of cancer, be with them. I thank you, too, for my uh, grandnephew as he has gone back uh, to work and is preaching in his pulpit. I pray for Tom that you bless his ministry. I pray also, too, for Don, who has a, a foot surgery, Lord, that you'll bless him and bring healing to it. I think also of uh, <clears throat> the Hodges family and the Coslett uh, uh, family and for also <clears throat> uh, the Graber family and the loss of mom. I pray for Keith and his sister Karen as we laid her to rest and also for Annie who passed away and for her husband and her children as they grieve her loss. I pray also for Floyd that um, you'll be with him and bring healing to him. Pray also those for who are addictions, Lord, for Ryan, for Jordan, for David, for Eric, for Ricky, for Mitch, all these battle under that addiction and under the pain of, of trying to beat it. And we know, Lord, that you are the one, you're the victor. You can bring about healing and salvation. And now, Father, as we come before your word, it's very real. It doesn't mince words. It doesn't try to code over things and cover things. But it's very real to our lives. And we ask you, Lord, that as we listen to your word, that you will speak to us and use it for your glory, for our own healing, and for our own uh, establishment in you, and also for those that we know that are struggling in their life, that we can minister unto them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the church is an interesting place. It's a place where we've been called out. It's a place where we are called by the Lord to be his servants. In fact, Paul uses the word saints 
meaning set apart ones early on in this book. But we also know the church is a bunch of sinners. <clears throat> we all fall short of the glory of God at one time and another. And how the Bible says that the church of Jesus Christ is there for us. And Paul is the one who started this wonderful church in Corinth. About, <clears throat> spent about a year and a half there, but after he left, things began to erupt. <clears throat> Part of it was with the culture that they lived in. Now, like Wichita sometimes, and also New York City, go all combined in one. But there were things that needed to be dealt with. <clears throat> I know in the 40-some years of ministry that I've been in the ministry, there are things that come up in the church that have to be dealt with. Sometimes they're pretty ugly. <clears throat> but the question comes to us as friends and believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, and also as a church, the combined of the body of Christ, what do you do when two Christians no longer speak to each other in the church or have had a fight? What do you do when a youth pastor has molested a child? What do you do when a Sunday school teacher denies the deity of Jesus Christ? What do you do? When one leader criticizes another leader behind their back, what do you do when a Christian businessman in the congregation cheats another Christian businessman in the body? What do you do when a woman in the church goes out to get a divorce because she believes God's told her to marry somebody else? What do you do when an usher is caught stealing from the offering, or a teenager accuses a youth leader of sexual harassment? What do you do when a deacon comes out of the closet and says he's homosexual? What do you do when two couples start spreading rumors about a pastor who's using drugs? What do you do when a pastor is caught breaking into houses of senior citizen parishioners and stealing their Oxycontin? What do you do <clears throat> when a choir director threatens to sue the church because she was found out having an affair and people were condemning her? You know, I wish these were hypothetical situations, but they're not. These are real situations that I've dealt with in my ministry careers, just some of them. They're not hypothetical, but they're real things that we in Jesus Christ need to deal with so that we can do the love of Christ. There was a <clears throat> pastor in New York City by the name of Reverend Gordon McDonald, written several books high on the evangelical list a long time ago. But then found out that he was having an affair and his congregation confronted him, his elders confronted him. And they sat him down and made him face the reality of his sin. They worked with him, they spent time with him, and they restored him back to the pulpit after three years. And also restored his marriage with his wife, Gail. That's the church's job. And we're not to judge the world that's already been judged. The Bible says that we as the church are to love 
and deal with and help our brothers and sisters out of the sin once they've committed themselves to Jesus Christ. Corinth was at the crossways of a huge way to get around Greece and not have to go all around Greece. In fact, it was a small three-mile stint that they could move stuff and not have to take a ship all the way around. That took was 200 miles and they'd only have to go three miles. But there in Corinth was on top of the mountain, Aphrodite's temple. And there were a lot of sailors and a lot of soldiers and a lot of people who were taking their commerce through. And it was a very busy commercial place that she would send down 1,000 prostitutes to get work and to bring money back to the temple. In fact, it became so bad that <clears throat> the reputation of Corinth, if you were called a Corinthianizer, you were considered as the practically an immoral person, a drunk, uh, a, a liar, a cheat, whatever. And that a girl, if she was called a Corinthian girl, she was considered a prostitute. But the Word of God here, though, speaks to us here in Wichita. Because a lot of that happens in the same major metropolitan areas in our. We have a trafficking problem we all know about. Many of us don't know that one of the high capitals of swinger life is in Wichita of the Midwest. And what we have here is Paul is so disappointed, and this is his second letter, really. We, we claim it as 1 Corinthians, but really in chapter 5, he talks about this as being his first letter was sent earlier on. And he's still concerned about what's going on in Corinth. And he wants to make it right. And he wants the church leaders to get with the program and get out of their isolation. Some of them were involved and they were proud and they were gloating of their progressiveness. And here it was, they weren't being progressive. They were being happy about sin. We've seen that in the church today. That what we have done is desanitized homosexuality. And we've made it no longer a sin. And that's not true. The Bible still holds to that. But here we are today in the Apostle Paul, who's dealing with these people who've heard it and they're blatant and unrepentant in their sin. And Paul calls the leaders of the church. He calls individuals in the church who love Christ and are saints and are willing to stand up and make a difference. And he calls them to restore people who've fallen away from the faith or fallen into these sins and get them to see the error of their ways and come back. And so he begins with faithfulness. He said, we must be faithful in all we do. Let a man regard his, us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. In this case, moreover, it is acquired that stewards, that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I would examine you by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not <clears throat> by this acquitted, but the one of who examines me is the Lord. And therefore do not go and pass judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring <clears throat> both bring the light and the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and each man's praise will come to him. Well, here the Bible is speaking to us very plainly. Paul understood the household of faith. He loved them. He gave himself a year and a half there to build this church. And yet this sin is going on and, it, and people are gloating about it. 
They're allowing, they're saying, oh, we're so progressive. And how easy it is to judge the leader. And Paul says two things. He uses words. He says a servant and a steward. And what he was talking about, a word is called the under rower, that he flows the ship down the road and he's underneath. Nobody sees him and keeps the ship going. And the steward has been given so many things to take care of for its master. And he says, that's what we're work is to do. And what we do here is that we don't criticize, but instead we work together to bring that person who's fallen back to the faith. We know in Revelations, for instance, we're all going to be judged. There are those who are going to be judged whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelations 21 talks about that, where <clears throat> those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, their name are not written in the Lamb's book of life. But then those who are, there is another book that's open. And that book is open about us who believe in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be judged according to what we have done. And what have we done and how it's lasted and whether it's worth and how it passes God's test. And then we will be rewarded. You see, God has his love for us and wants to reward us, wants to give us things. But this judgment doesn't take place until the end. And he's speaking to people who are judging him because he is right now looking at their church and seeing what's going on and saying, this is wrong. And they say, oh, you're so judgmental. Well, Paul talks about this and he says, now, wait a minute, what's the standard? And we have to ask ourselves when we're going through difficult things or we're questioning people or authority figures that we have to watch our own selves, that we don't judge their motives. Only God knows us motives. We got to watch what standard we use. Are we using God's standard or are we using our own standards? This past week, I had a problem with um, getting ready for this uh, um, <clears throat> move into our denomination. They sent me a letter, sending me all this stuff I had to provide. 22 years of back minutes for our consistory board. 22 years of elders minutes that had to be sent. And all kinds of other information. And let me tell you something. I got a little bit of bad attitude in my office the other day. And I thought about taking that loose leaf and throwing it right in the window. And then I said, Lord, forgive me. Basically got on my knees and said, Lord, forgive me. Whatever they want... Whatever they want me to do, Lord, help me to submit to the authority and that I'm going to trust you and that you're going to use this for your glory, even though I'm not feeling good about it. And he, I know he forgave me, but I also had a tough time doing it all because it took away from me doing ministry with people and it angered me. But I knew God has a plan for this and that I had just this attitude right here. Because otherwise it wasn't giving God glory. And so what I did is I, I, I confessed and I came and got back into it and got it completed. And I sent it off yesterday and I'm so grateful. But what a wonderful opportunity now for us to use that. And God changed my attitude. He says, Dave, this is for them. Get your attitude right and you're going to make a difference when you're going to talk to them and tell them what's going on and how you disagree with where the denomination is going so that you can give glory to God and you can honor God by trying to keep the church pure and preserving it. That's your responsibility. You let me take care of everything else. Well, thank the Lord. I'm going to do that. And if you catch me doing other things and get me on back on track. But Jesus talks about it when we have a friend or a loved one. Who's gone off the path? How do we handle that? How do we handle when I read that litany of people that we talked about? I mean, they're, they're, I could tell you more of the craziness of what sin does to people and good Christian people. 
who walk away from the faith for a while. And what God tells us to do, what Jesus tells us to do. He gives us an example of what we're to do in, in, in Matthew chapter 18. There's a three-step process that Jesus tells us to. And we're going to talk about that later on. But I tried that. And there's sometimes, folks, let me tell you, it works wonderfully. And usually 90% stop when you go personally to them and you lovingly talk to them about Christ. It's the other 10%. That's tough. And sometimes you even have to bring it to the church board to deal with because they're not too happy about it. I had a young man that was in the ministry. He got relieved of his duty in the ministry because of his own personal life and some things that were happening. And he was, we talked and I worked with him and I wanted to see if, and he wanted to get restored back into the ministry. And what a tragedy it was for me to watch. As he told me all these wonderful things that he had done and everything. And that they needed to iron out. And when we got together with the people from his denomination. I was so disappointed in how he reacted. Because he was acted as a real arrogant person. And that they were all wrong and he was not going to listen to anything they said. And I tried to even reason with him. I was the arbitrator and here he would not listen worth a dime. Because he was arrogant. He's full of himself. And he showed it to not only to, to the leaders of this church and told them in no such way he would go before them and confess anything. How can you not? You did some things and you need to admit it. But he wouldn't. How unlike a little young girl that I know. Went off to college. Couldn't wait to get away from her parents and all the Christian stuff. She had given her life to Jesus Christ. She was a, a president of their youth group. Was doing all kinds of great things. But when she got to college... She met a guy who was supposedly very cool in her life. He did drugs. She started taking up drugs. She walked away from her faith. And then came the day when she wound up being pregnant. And all of a sudden, she went to him and told him when she found out. And he said, go get an abortion. Then she realized what she was dealing with. This guy didn't really love her, even though he said he did all the things he did. But she was pregnant. He told her to get rid of the baby. She was alone. And some of the girls in her dorm were trying to help her. And finally, one of them said, well, why don't you go back to your parents and to the, your church? And maybe they'll help you. And she said, oh, no, they'll look on me as such a gross sinner. Finally, she had no other recourse but had to go back and tell them. And to her surprise, they loved her. They welcomed her in. And she admitted what she had done and how wrong she was and how she recommitted herself to Jesus. And what a difference. In fact, she asked to give her testimony in church. And that Sunday, she told them of how she rejected and walked away from the Christian faith and now has realized how good that Christian faith is and how valuable her faith in Jesus Christ is. And she asked the congregation for forgiveness. And then she restored her life. Went back to college and had people helping her with babysitting from the church. Got herself restored and got an education. And people came by her side that she thought didn't like her at all. And the church came along and helped her and loved her 
And today she's married to a Christian man with three kids. Why? Because she came back to the Lord because people cared about her and restored her. Apostle Paul says we need to go to people who are fallen and humbly go and speak to them as Jesus requires us. For who regards you as superior? And see, these people didn't think they had a problem. They were full of themselves. And Paul is saying, no, we are the broken people, but you brag about it. And really, Paul is using sanctified sarcasm here as you read this with me. For who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? He's saying, well, that you've got, this is from the Lord. And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as you had not received it? You are already filled, but you have already become rich. You have already become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you have become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. And to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. And when we are reviled, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure. And when we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world the dregs of all things, even until now. And Paul is saying to them, you boast about these things. You're boast because you're popular in the world, because you've adopted the world's ways and not God's ways. He's speaking to Christian brothers and sisters. And he's saying, look at what we've become. He says, we become entertainment. You know what he's saying there? Is they've taken Christians and thrown in the Colosseum with the animals that ate them. That was the entertainment. He's talking about. And what we see here, he says, we've got all these things going on that are negative, And we've become that way because we realize God is going to lift us up. And that God is doing what is right. And we need to stand for what is right. Not to be accepted and loved by the world. You see, this is what the church has done. The church wants to have people come into it still, but they want it for the wrong reasons. Not because we're standing and giving a, a, a speech and proclaiming that sin is in the world and we've got to stop. No, we're coming alongside of it. And, and they're proud of their spiritual achievements and that they were such great men. And Paul says, when you speak the truth, this doesn't happen. And here he is. They're glorying. And the, the first part of the Corinthians, we heard, they were all proud of the different guys they attached to. It's the same thing with Michael Tyson had. All these people following him because he was popular and, and, and they could drop his name. This is what they were doing. But what happened was, Paul is saying, that's all fluff. It's not going to last. And what you need to do is stand for Jesus Christ. And this is tough. Because like me, Paul is saying, I'm a tent maker, I work with hands. And the, the Greeks look down on Paul because of that. And that he's treated like the filth of the earth. Why? Because he's willing to stand for the truth. And we have to be humble when we go to people and tell them that this is wrong. And we love them, but it's wrong. And it will not last. It will not last into eternity. And Paul then speaks about this tenderness that he has for this congregation. 
That's what we need to develop in our own lives is a tenderness. Because look at all that they've gone through. And yet, they're praising God because they're able to come to the brothers and sisters and sell them. This is not the truth that you're buying into. And so he comes with them with humility. And then he says, come with tenderness. He said, I do not write you these things to shame you, but to admonish you to be as my beloved children. He says, I love you like kids, but you're going the wrong path. And I don't want to do this to shame you. I want to lift you up and for you to glorify God like you should. For if you were to admonish you like beloved children, for if you were an accountless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the many ways, my ways, which are in Christ, just to teach you everywhere in every church. And now some of you become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or love in the spirit of gentleness? And Paul is saying, I want to love you guys. But I want you to do what's right in God's eyes. I'm not going to come there with a rod and an iron and beat you. I want you to experience the true joy in Jesus Christ. And I want to admonish you. But as children whom I love and care about. Think of the children that you know that have not been disciplined by their, their parents. What do they act like? Oh my gosh, you don't want to even deal with them. You don't want to deal with them even. I see people walk away in the grocery store that don't want to deal with them. And here the Bible says to us, we need that discipline sometimes. That's what the church is there for. That's what our brothers and sisters are there to, to help us play better. I see that in ball teams. You know, I played on one team in high school and everybody poked a finger at everybody else. And that team was supposed to take the championship and we didn't get but three out of six we won. It was because of that attitude. And instead, when we have an encouraging attitude, and this is what Paul has. He wants to encourage them to do better and be the best that they can be in Jesus Christ. And part of it is means convincing them of their sin. And the Bible here tells us with tenderness, you go to them and you speak to them. The church has three things in it. It's supposed to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, and bring discipline. And discipline is not to say, you sinner, you're going to hell. You don't. No, that's not it. It's to discipline them so that they realize what they're doing and come back to the true faith in Jesus Christ. And it's out of love, just as a parent loves their children and disciplines them. And you see, it's number one, to purify the church, to keep the church pure. Number two, to protect the honor of Christ. And number three, to restore the erring believer. That's what discipline's about. And we do that, we will find. My father, for instance, would not go into a bar when he was teaching Sunday school to high school kids. You know why? He didn't want them to get the wrong message that he was in favor of that lifestyle. And so he would never go into a bar because he didn't want the kids. Because he had kids from broken homes in his Sunday school class. And he knew their fathers went into those bars and came home drunk. And he wanted them to realize there's a different way when you follow Jesus Christ. There are moral issues that Paul was talking about. And we're going to get into in a second here. 
But he also understood what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 18, first, the process of restoring somebody. Who's walking away? And there's a lot of Christians who walk away from the faith for a while. They get caught up in immoral sins. And it got hold of them more than they should. And they don't even, they turn a blind eye to what Christ wants. And Jesus tells us, number one, go to a person by yourself. It's personal. It's private. It's an immediate thing. And confront them about the sin that they're committing. And help them to see the blindness on their eyes. And some of them don't. Because the sin at that point in their life is feeling really good. And they don't want to let it go. And I've seen that before. And it's tragic. And what we need to do, though, continue to love them. And Paul says, then, or Jesus says, then, if they don't listen to you personally, go get another friend who's walking in the Lord, who trusts Christ, and bring them along with you. And then the two of you go and speak to them. And, and, and talk and beg to their heart so that they see that what Christ wants is the best for your life. And this that path you're following is going to destroy your life, your marriage, everything in your life. And if not, then come to the church, to the elders. Speak to them and admonish them. And come to that person. And they speak together with and a strong front of love and tenderness and desire to draw that person back. You see, Paul founded this family. And he loved them so much. And cared so much. But sometimes Christians can get such the sin or the pride or their egos can become so much blinding to them that they don't see what the Lord wants. I had two wonderful gals working at our church several years ago. What happened was I began to see and I tried to stop it. Pride and ego started getting in the way. And finally one day it came to a, a huge blow up. And I lost two good Christian leaders in, in the church here. And they both went off to different churches. They both went off and started other ministries. And seven years later, I'm sitting in my office and I get a letter, a personal letter. It was from one of the cows. And she wrote it and she said, I'm writing this with tears because I didn't realize how immature a Christian I was. And how wrong I was. And I let this person and myself get into an ego match. And I was wrong. And I thought it was you and I thought it was the church at Harvest. And I thought it was her. And she said, as I now have been in seven years in ministry, it happened again. But thank the Lord I'm a much more mature Christian now and I handled it right. And that I didn't let her ego and my ego get in the way. But I trusted the Lord and we worked it out as two leaders in the church. And our ministry is stronger before because of it. But she said, I let it get in the way. And I am so sorry for what happened at Har Harvest and how it damaged your ministry there at Harvest. I was forever grateful that she said that and wrote that 
but it still hurt the church. It hurt the kids' programs here. But God worked the healing in her life, and she realized what she had done. You see, it's easy to find ourselves thinking that we're right when we're wrong. And Paul here is like a good parent. He wants the church to break their willfulness of sin and not let it destroy them, but instead to grow them in their spirit and see doing it God's way and without the sin is so helpful. You see, discipline is so important. And it's so important that we are honest with our friends in Christ when they're erring. We need to do that. We need to help them to see because each one of us needs each other. Because it's easy to err. It's easy to get off the path and find our way in a wrong way and then wake up later on and somebody who could have stopped it didn't. And that we go to somebody. I saw a church that I was asked to help that was confused about the faith. I was in college at the time. It was during the 70s. And I had a friend whose brother was Oman Ferlo from missionary work. And I was planning to go to seminary. And he asked me, would you go with me to this group? And I don't know if you remember the Jesus movement back in the 70s. Well, there was a group down in South Jersey that were living on the beach that were Jesus people. They really loved the Lord. They sang the Maranatha music and the Hosanna music. And they were really worshiping God. But they wanted to join the Baptist denomination, and my friend was a Baptist, and so we went down there. And here, one of their practices that they didn't want to give up was they would smoke weed before Bible study, and it gave them more illumination, they said, towards the Word. And they were using God's herbs in order to be able to be more enlightened. And it really was because I think they just wanted to get high. And so we went and spent hours with them debating in the scriptures and trying to help them to see that this was a wrong practice and was not pleasing to God. And finally, about a couple months later, they wound up being able to break that habit and leave that way. But it was because of scripture and we had to confront them about that. You see, discipline is often hard. But Paul is writing here and he wants them to see that it can cause pain in people's lives. The situation that he is dealing with was a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. It was incest. And he's dealing with them and he says to them and he confronts them. And he says if the person refuses to change, then we need to kick him out of the church. Not because we hate him, not because we're angry with him, not because we, but because we want him to see the error of his ways and change his ways and then lift him up and bring him back safely to the father's hands and that he follow the way of Jesus Christ. But he says, turn him over to Satan, leave him there. And Satan is really the power of the air right now. He roams the earth to so leave him there. Why? So that he realized the error of his ways and he'll come back to the faith. And then he'll miss what he had in Jesus Christ with these people at the church. And to treat him with love then and respect. You see, it needs to be a radical change. And, and until that happens, some people will keep a blinder on their eyes and not change. 
We have to watch on our own life. The Bible says to us, be careful ourselves. It's easy to get sucked into Satan's lie and, and, and lies like he did with Eve and with Adam. And when does the church step in? When do we as believers step in? When it's a blatant immorality? When it, it's a time when false doctrine is being teached? Or when it is a, a divisive behavior in the church that's destroying or destroying a family? And that we have the right as brothers and sisters in Christ to speak to each other about these things. Open and honest because we're truly in Jesus Christ. And that we forgive them completely and totally when they have repented and genuine showed marks of forgiveness and also of repentance. Otherwise, we continue to hold them off relationally and love them, but we have to keep them away until they realize this falsehood. That they, You know, it's easy sometimes for people to say, I'm sorry. How many times have you heard people say, I'm sorry? You know, I remember one of my kids used to say, sorry. Did they mean it? Not a bit. They just wanted to say sorry so I wouldn't turn the heat on them. And then they'd say, Dad's forgiven me, so now it's cool to do it again. That's not true. Restoring and, 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 and repentance is actually, the word means turning 180 degrees from where you were going and going the opposite way. And then the restoration comes to forgiveness. The love of Christ then can flow. But we don't want to keep that person in that spot. There have been times that I've had to confront people. One man in particular who came to me and said he wanted me to marry his new girlfriend. I knew a little bit about the background, so I confronted him. I said, well, I thought you had a wife and three kids. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I felt the Lord calling me to get involved with this gal. So the Bible doesn't say that. Now, here's a man who knew Scripture incredibly. He could outquote scriptures that I, I, you know, I've read, but I haven't. He had, he had a thousand verses in his head, but he didn't have it in his heart. And he's telling me that God. Then I said, God would never tell you. He tells in the Bible, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." That you go and find another wife. That's not the Bible. And I said, you're committing a Oh, no, it's not like this. God led me to her. He was not admitting. And he asked me to marry them. And I said, of course not. And this woman that he was with, very nice ladies, claimed to be a Christian, but they both were living in sin. And they would not admit it. You see, the Bible says here, methodia, which means schemes. The devil has schemes. To even confuse us as Christians. I believe half the church right now is confused as Christians because wokeism is the time of the day. And people are buying into wokeism and they're not seeing what Christ says in his word. In fact, I'm sending out a, a paper to help clarify some things for us as believers about this whole homosexual issue. Because there's been enough written that they have descended. You know, it desensitized and they taken it out of the sin category and made it a lifestyle. That is not what the Bible says. We have to stand on that because that's the truth. And it's very damning to the people who are believing it, especially if they're going into that lifestyle. My fear is for them. 
I have friends that I weep over because I know what they've bought into. And I love them. But you see, just like this man, adultery was okay for him because he felt that's not a feeling from God. That's from the pit. And Satan does that. He gives us these lies and schemes. He said to Eve, he turned Eve's head upside down and she turned Adam's head upside down and they sinned and we are in a dilemma today because of them. And we need to resolve that. You see, sin can do that to the best of Christians. And we as the body of Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ, if you see my brother and my sister, I love them immensely. But I know if I was doing anything like that, my brother would come out. He'd fly from New Jersey the next day, get on a flight and rip my head off and say, stop it now. It's wrong. Because he loves me. And we have to have that when we see our friends. And I know. I, it's very easy as Christians to become complacent about it. One time I talked to a friend of mine, and we knew that this person was uh, uh, having an affair at Boeing. And he's a Christian too, and I said, he says, well, that happens. Everybody gets it. No, it don't happen. We as Christians are obligated to our brother and sister to bring them and to save them out of the sin that they're in and the blindness that they have. We need to help them. Because they're buying into the false. And that they're dealing with something that is so wrong. And it's Satan's scheme to bring down a family. To bring down a brother and sister in Christ. And we need to have that heart for them. That we're concerned for them and we're willing to take the step and be honest with them and say, I know this is going on. What are you doing? And confront them. And then if they don't listen to us, go get another brother or a sister and go with them again and say, we know you love Jesus Christ, but what are you doing here? Why are you involved in this relationship? Matt Chandler right now has stepped down from the ministry. He's a very popular minister today. And he's stepped down. Why? Because he had inappropriate relations or on the, just texting. And his board said, no, we need to pull you out of the ministry for a while and get your head checked and make this right in the eyes of God. A big mega church pastor. And that's what we need to do. We need to love our brothers and sisters that way. <clears throat> I remember back in New Jersey, a young man who was on the streets had a heroin addiction great robber. He could rob anybody's house. They were even sitting in their living room. He was smooth. But I remember when he came to Christ. We sent him to Team Challenge for a year. He got clean. And he was on fire for Christ. And he was so on fire that he wanted to go into the ministry. And I said, well, why don't we get you right with your schooling and everything? And he had was a bright kid, he was an A student up until he got hooked on to heroin and then he went down and flunked out of high school his senior year. We got him on his GED and then he said, I, I really feel called to the Lord. So we had a Bible college right 20 miles away from Fort Lee where we lived by the George Washington Bridge and got him in. He was doing great. And he met a great Christian girl, missionary couple's daughter. 
But when the missionaries found out that their daughter was hooked, was involved with this fellow who had a heroin addiction in the past, they pulled her out of the college and said, either you break up with him or we're going to pull you out of the college, and they did. This devastated Kenny because he had a lot of flings when he was in high school and before he came to Christ, and this girl really touched his heart because they had a relationship he felt spiritually too. And little did I know, but I hadn't heard from him in a while. And on Tuesday nights, we would go out, and I had this group called the God Squad, and we'd go out evangelizing in bars and in <clears throat> parks and places around where kids were hanging out. And we're driving down a highway, a four-lane highway, in the dark. And I see this figure hitchhiking on the other side. And I thought, oh, this, this guy would be really cool to get him in the car with three Christians we witnessed to him. So I turn around and we pick him up, this hitchhiker, and here it's Kenny. And we were shocked because when we had last seen him, he was so healthy looking and now he was drawn because the heroin. And what he had done is when he, that girl broke up, he got tempted one night and came over and started getting scoring over in New York City with heroin. And that night, he had just come back from New York City, and he was hitchhiking back to the Bible college he was in. And as I rode him, drove him back with the other two, and we were in the car, we were asking how he was doing, where he's coming from, and then he finally broke into tears. He said, Pastor Dave. And he explained what happened with him with his girlfriend. And he said, I know it's not right, but I went back to heroin to relieve himself from the sorrow and hurt that he had inside of his heart. And so <clears throat> we drove him back to the Bible college and the next day I called the dean of the college and he went to see the dean and it was at that point that he realized that he needed the help. And I'm grateful I did, you know, I didn't have to rat him out, but I did because I wanted him to do what was right in the Lord's eyes. And what we did is we sent him back to Teen Challenge for another year. And then by the grace of God and the forgiveness that he felt, the school allowed him to come back. And he finished up his degree. And today he's pastoring a church, all because of the grace of God that was shown him. You see, and that's what Paul says. When we think about a person, Kenny meant so much to me to watch the change in his life and how he came out of addiction and now wanted to serve the Lord, but how brokenness sometimes could take us and destroy us inside and to do things, old faithful patterns. It's like wearing an old set of shoes and go back to an addiction. And he did. But God was good and helped him. You see... Notice what it says here is actually reported an immorality among you. This is what, and that this whole situation, and Paul deals with it. And then Paul says to him, You're not to boast in this sin, but rather to help people out. This is the sad thing I think our denomination is missing. I think the church is missing. They lost the sense of sin, they lost the sense of brokenness of what people need, which is Jesus Christ and wholeness. 
and to leave sinful lives and find Christ's purity in their lives. This is what we need to do at this church. We need to establish this. You know, that's why I think God has called us with this. They're harassing me right now, and I reason why I think it is because I need to give a message to the denomination. They need to know that we're not helping these children. And that's what I included in my report yesterday is that we are not helping people who are living in sin, encouraging that it's okay to live in this lifestyle. It's wrong. And we need to lovingly encourage them out of that into the life of Jesus. Let's pray together as we do this task. Father, I thank you for these folks. And I know they live in a very real world, Lord. And they have friends that are struggling, friends who used to be Christians that don't go to church anymore and just kind of walked away from Jesus. I pray for them, Lord, as they see them, that you'll give them the wisdom how to go and lovingly speak to them about it. And if not, Lord, that they go get a friend and they go back again and love these people because they're missing you, Jesus, the source and sustainer of life. And they need that. And even the blindness that's around their eyes of the world and the culture and the sin. That, Lord, we can be part of the stepping stones that break that in their lives and give them the joy again of you, Jesus. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have as the church body to do that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. At this time, we'll come now before the Lord and we're reminded of what he has done for us as we receive our communion together. Dearly beloved in the Lord, they may now receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to your comfort. Let every one of you examine your heart and conscience whether he, you believe that God's faithful promise that your sins are forgiven only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and whether he purposes henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in your life by walking uprightly before him, and by living in love and peace with your neighbor. For all these are mindful that God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son. You are also considered that in the instituting the Holy Supper, Jesus Christ gave us a sure remembrance and a pledge of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. Doubt not that Christ himself will certainly feed and nourish our souls, but give us everlasting life with the crucified body and shed blood that he did, that we remember as we break this bread and receive this cup and we drink and eat in remembrance of him. The Lord Jesus denied him when he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
in remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken on the cross for us. Amen. In like manner also Jesus took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as often as remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on the cross to wash away all our sins. Father in heaven, such love is so great that we can't even imagine sending your only son for us to die in our place. We just have so much appreciation and gratitude for that. We thank you, Lord, for washing us and cleansing us. And we pray for other brothers and sisters who may have wandered away. Lord, give us minds to have a sensitivity and a tenderness to them. And help us reach them and bring them back, Lord. Use us as shepherds who seek those who are lost, and especially the brothers and sisters who walk away from the faith. Help us, Lord, to love them the way you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and receive our benediction and close with our closing song. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his mercy that doesn't give us what we deserve but rather gives us the grace and the forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I empower us now in your Holy Spirit to love, to be faithful, to be kind and tender and understand the hearts of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.